I got it. When I first heard about Dave being trapped in a maze. One, two, three, four. I built a labyrinth. Can you believe it? Dave is trapped in a cardboard maze in his living room and he can't get out. Welcome to Dave Made a Minute, the podcast where a whole bunch of us are exploring the film Dave Made a Maze one minute at a time. The twist. Many of the participants have never seen the film. Some don't even know what film they're sampling. They get their minutes and they tackle them as they see fit. Here's your host from the Groundhog Day Project and Michael Myers Minute, Robert Black. Minute 20, Annie, Gordon, and the film crew enter the origami room. I know from the commentary, this room was partly the result of three weekends in a row of origami folding. Also, the actors all end up on their knees in this scene to make the room look bigger. To tackle Minute 20, we have Rick Ingham and Julia Ingham of Mad Max Minute. You come home, there's a giant maze in your living room. You're like, what the... There's a giant maze in my living room. I've heard of people rearranging the furniture, but this is wackadoodle crazy. This doesn't make any sense. Is that a problem? Is it a promise to my second? It's like a fucking cocktail party in here. I get a few words from you before you go. Hey, welcome to Minute 20. I'm your host for today, Rick Ingham, alongside your other host for today. I'm Julia Ingham. Normally, we produce the Mad Max Minute podcast, but today we are here in Dave's Cardboard Maze to help break down this movie one minute at a time. This episode is going to be divided into two parts. Here in part one, Julia and I have only seen the trailer and this minute specifically. We have very little context for what has come before or what will happen afterward. I'll explain part two when we get to it, but in the meantime, we start off this minute with Annie and the camera crew and Gordon. They are in this room filled with vertical columns with dark spaces in between, and Annie is calling out for Dave. Now, the first thing I want to say is that I recognize this room from the trailer. Yes, I do too. And even in the trailer, the music that's set behind this space specifically is rather light. They still seem to be in the having fun adventuring portion of this movie. They do that whole leaning out the columns in three different heights, sort of joking around sort of thing. But at this point in the minute, it seems like the antics are starting to wear out. They're in this maze specifically to find Dave at this point. And so, yes, we've all had fun. We're all playing around with the columns. But now Annie has decided that it's time to continue moving, to move on with their objective. And it seems that Annie has actually found one of these columns that actually leads somewhere else instead of looping back on itself. My first impression of this minute was about Annie. Mm -hmm. Because we don't have any context for the movie, I don't really know the nature of her relationship with Dave. The assumption is that it's a romantic one, which has a certain set of implied motivations. Whether or not that's true, I think in this minute doesn't really matter. But she is eager and she's taking charge. She's intelligent, willing to take risks. I really like her. Yeah, you get the sense that she is more or less the de facto leader of this band. And from watching the trailer, I would say that her and Dave are living together. And she was away for the weekend, came home, found this situation. And now she geared up, grabbed some of her friends, and I guess one of them is a filmmaker. I guess that's what Harry does. I'm not quite sure. I guess so. But they have entered this maze in order to find Dave. 
So to that end, Annie finds this passage forward. She turns back to the others and says, guys, come on. And Gordon is the first one to step forward. He's kind of schlubby looking. I guess he didn't exactly plan on spelunking when he got dressed that morning, but he pushes past the camera crew in order to follow Annie into this next space. He strikes me as eager. I don't think he's quite as eager as Annie, just from my first view of him here. Yeah, I have questions about his motivations as well. I see two paths. One is that he is maybe Dave's friend, maybe even best friend, and he is eager to find Dave. Or he's interested in Annie and is eager to follow Annie. Mm. Based on what we've seen so far, I think it's the first one. Okay. That... Gordon is Dave's longtime friend and that he's concerned for his friend, but he's not quite as sure of himself as Annie. Annie's taking the lead. She's blazing a path. Gordon is there for, I guess, support. He wants to be involved, but he's not exactly the kind that's going to blaze a path through the jungle, so to speak. I had actually forgotten that in the trailer, there's a lot more people there. Oh, yeah. I'd completely forgotten about them because they're not in this minute. So I'm very curious about the collection of people who were brought along. How do they connect to Dave? How do they connect to Annie? Yeah, we don't see any of the larger group in this minute. We were also given other minutes of this movie, but we don't see any extended individuals in those minutes either. No, we see this same group of people. So any other people that went into the maze alongside Annie, Harry, and Gordon and the two unnamed camera crew guys, they're a complete mystery to us. So I don't think we'll really be concerning ourselves too much with them. But that is an interesting question that we'll have to answer during part two, I guess. Yeah, I think so. So Harry, played by James Urbaniak, he is the director of this camera crew that is following them around. I know him best as the voice of Dr. Venture in the Venture Brothers cartoon. However, I can't deny that he looks a lot like, I would say, an American knockoff of Colin Firth. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see that. Yeah. That was the first thing that got to me. And I imagine if this had been less of an independent movie and more of a big budget studio thing, they might have gotten Colin Firth. I, I'm pretty sure that James Urbaniak, when he fills out his resume or he puts together his headshots, one of the characteristics is that he puts down a Colin Firth type. <laughs> but that's beside the point. As Annie pushes through this column, she appears in the doorway leading to a room that we initially see is just filled with crumpled paper. But opposite the door, there is this large face that is audibly belching more paper into the room. So there seems to be a slow trickle, and that room is slowly filling up with paper. That does lead me to wonder what's going to happen with more paper and more paper and more paper the room is already perilously perhaps deep with paper as we're about to see them walk in they go further and further up their body into paper until they're up to their chest so how much paper can this room handle that's a very good question one that i did not crunch the numbers on because it is a limited amount of space I think the main thing working for it is that the face doesn't seem to be belting paper at that great of a rate. It's a slow trickle mm. is how I would describe it. But this large face, the first thing I think of when I see something like this, and it's actually the first thing that you thought of we were talking before we started recording as we were watching these minutes. The first thing that came to both of our minds as we saw this giant face was 
Olmec, the mascot to the Legends of the Hidden Temple Nickelodeon show from the 90s. Absolutely. Mine was a mashup between Olmec and the Star Wars Trash Compactor. Mm. I almost expect this room to start closing in. (laughs) They definitely spend longer in this room than we're here to see. This scene is going to extend past the end of minute 20. Yes, there are a couple quick blips in the trailer of this room and it gives off a much more parallel vibe Mm -hmm. than what we get in it for just this minute yeah but going back to that legends of the hidden temple comparison i half expected this face to start talking in some way to describe to them i don't know the legend of the golden spider web of robert the bruce or something like that and then they would have to (laughs) swing across a moat and do a series of trivia challenges and sort of thing given that this is only 20 minutes into the movie i did kind of assume that they would receive from this entity some sort of quest or task or clue as to what is going on right and it's very possible that they still might they really are just entering the room in this scene Mm. not really doing much in it i feel like that would be very much in line with the idea of this being a labyrinth It's described by Dave in the trailer, oh, I've built a labyrinth, not I've built a maze. And a labyrinth implies riddles and tricks and puzzles and twists and turns and whatnot, more so than just a maze. Yeah, it's been a very, very long time since I've seen the movie Labyrinth, and I'm still not sure I've seen it all the way through. But what I do remember of it is exactly tricks and riddles and some level of guidance So what you're saying is that this movie needs more Bowie? Well, yes. By the way, that wasn't a throwaway line. There actually was an episode of Legends of the Hidden Temple about the golden spiderweb of Robert the Bruce. Oh, I thought you made it up. No, I spent about half an hour watching that episode. (laughs) The team did not complete the temple. One of them got taken out by temple guards, and then the other one ran in. They slid down into one of the puzzle rooms and immediately got snatched up. They only had half of a token, so they didn't get past the temple guard. And uh, poor kids, they only walked away with a bicycle. But that was a lot better than the kids who only got to walk away with a $50 savings bond. Wow, a $50 savings bond. I know, right? Practically worthless. By now, that would have matured and they could have taken it out. Yeah, be like, what, $55? Yeah. Just in case anybody is curious, the legend of the golden spiderweb of Robert the Bruce revolves around the story of the crowned king of Scotland. He tried to liberate it from English rule twice. He failed, ran away to Ireland, and was hiding in a peasant hut. And as he sat there bemoaning his fate, he saw up in the corner a spider spinning a web. Twice the spider failed to complete the web, and Robert the Bruce said, if that spider finishes the web on the third attempt. I will try a third time myself. So the spider web got up there, finished its web. Robert jumped on his horse, rallied his armies, and pushed England from Scotland. And to commemorate the spider, he commissioned a golden spider web to be made, and it somehow ended up in the Legend of the Hidden Temples. Okay, that doesn't surprise me that he ran away after two tries, because that's the same character as from the movie Braveheart. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And yeah, he was kind of a whiny little boy in that movie so doesn't surprise me at all yeah (laughs) getting back into this room with the giant face annie is initially amazed by what she's seeing she steps into the room she sinks up she says whoa and then as she continues in as you said they're sinking deeper and deeper into this paper and gordon is not 
quite as enamored with this space. He seems a bit more cynical. He says, no, this is fine. Because with each step they're taking, there seems to be an incline that we can't see. That they're going to reach a point where this paper goes up above their heads. Do you think this was filmed in a pool? Possibly. I actually did not do any research into the making of this movie. No, neither did I. I was just thinking about the practicality of that kind of incline. And like the easiest way to get that kind of structure is having that structure already built. And a pool would do the trick. Either a pool or they constructed a series of steps as if they were using differently leveled staging that you could walk a little bit, step down, walk a little bit, step down. Yeah, that's That true. sort of thing. Probably cheaper to rent a set of steps mm -hmm. than to rent a pool. Exactly. If there's one thing that I don't think they have to worry about, it's the idea of drowning. I don't think you could drown in a room like this because the paper is crumpled up and there's a lot of air between. I think the biggest thing you'd have to worry about is getting to a point where you can no longer climb out because then you're just stuck in a hole. Sure, there's a lot of paper around you, but it's more or less just a hole. Okay, two things. First of all, I think they can drown because this room, this maze, is obviously supernatural. So whatever this paper is meant to represent, which at the end of this minute, I have a theory on what this paper might represent. If it is meant to represent a liquid, something you can drown in, then it has the ability to drown you. We cut from Gordon over to the large face, which belches a bit more paper into the room. And then we get to see that cameraman and boom operator are entering the room as well. And they're doing their damnedest to try and keep their footing. They, at this point, are still very committed to the job. You see that cameraman is moving around and getting different shots of the room. We get to see two very large paper cranes perched up on the edge of the room, and he is catching all of that. I have a little bit of a theory about the paper cranes. Mm -hmm. And this is really because we don't know anything about the movie. I really have no direction to be sent to. So I just came up with my own completely out of thin air theory about the cranes. A moment earlier, we could also see on the wall another balcony with five cranes on it. Mm -hmm. So assuming that the room is symmetrical, there are 12 cranes. And the two big cranes that we see are shown to us. It feels very judgy. The cranes are up there, high above whatever is happening in this pool of paper down below. So that would mean 12 judges altogether. First of all, the presence of judges makes me think that someone in the group, perhaps all of them, perhaps just Annie, perhaps his best friend, have wronged Dave in some way. Okay. Maybe steering him towards making this maze as a way to cope with his feelings. And the room, and thereby Dave, are judging them. Huh. And also 12 is a religiously significant number. 12 tribes of Israel, things like that. So if there were 12 judges, that would be interesting. Okay. I didn't even consider that. I was too distracted by the fact that cameraman and boom operator are being very good about staying on the job. About making sure that... Despite everything that they're seeing, they're still getting the job done. And it's a level of professionalism that I appreciate in recording crews. Yeah. The assumption is, is that they're getting paid. Right. <laughs> 
And I know there are circumstances where money no longer matters. If you're in peril, you're in peril. Yeah. I don't think it has come to that yet in the movie. We're only 20 minutes in. Things still seem to be kind of light. So we'll see how the execution of their duties continues as things progress. Yeah. And we get a sense of that lightness as we cut over to Annie, who is looking up at this large face and she's smiling. She's marveling at this creation. And we focus in on the large face and we get a nice rack focus to several folded cranes that are hanging from strings it's very picturesque this space because there doesn't seem to be any malevolence to it yet in about 10 seconds or so harry is going to instruct annie to show more childlike wonder for Mm -hmm. the camera this is the face that he's looking for but the cameraman can't get it because he's walking behind annie if anything the cameraman and boom operator should be walking backwards in front of annie because she's the leader Absolutely. And they would have caught that, and then Harry would be happy. Mm-hmm. She's already made the face he's asking for. Cutting back to Annie, she picks up a folded flower from Pitt that they're all standing in. And she seems to me to be so taken in by the magic of this space that she almost takes that flower, brings it to her nose, and smells it. But halfway to her face, she stops, remembers, oh wait, this is all just paper, and has to rein in that sense of wonderment. Why would she stop? Just paper doesn't apply anymore. She has seen things, and she hasn't seen as much as she is going to see, but I think she has seen enough to know that this is not normal paper. Smell the flower. I'll bet it might have smelled nice. I bet it probably just smelled like paper. You are so unfanciful. Like, this place is fantastic, so why wouldn't the paper smell i'm not saying it has to smell i'm saying it could smell i think it's important that we see that annie is not willing to give herself entirely to the fantasy of this space she is essentially a realist stumbling through a fantasy this shot specifically course reminded me of the movie hook because there is that one point where amber scott as maggie has this little paper flower that someone has made for her and robin williams as peter is tucking her into bed and she's like dad smell my flower it smells pretty and he's like it's paper honey because he's still a wet blanket at that point in the movie right so in that scenario i'm maggie and you're peter yep and also in this scenario annie starts off as maggie and then has to shake herself being back into peter Continuing that parallel, by the end of Hook, Peter believes in things like that. He would smell the flower. Mm -hmm. So we'll see where Annie ends up. I guess so. Annie is having a genuine moment here, just herself. And as you mentioned, Harry from the back of the room calls out to her and asks for more childhood wonder. And then he goes, ooh, sort of pantomiming what he wants to see from Annie. And she does not appreciate this interruption. She picks up the flower mocks him in that movement and then tosses the flower at him because he's taking what is a genuine reaction and asking her to dress it up with artificiality yeah i always think of stage makeup that it has to be exaggerated Mm -hmm. so that it can be seen by the audience so perhaps it applies as well that your actions and your reactions need to be exaggerated so that it translates through the camera to the viewer but i think a natural reaction is always preferable to a 
acted reaction. It goes back to what you said about the cameraman and boom operator, that they're not placed effectively. They're not. To capture all of these emotions. At the tail end of minute 20, we see that Gordon is digging around in the paper around him, and he picks up something. It's white. It's roughly cylindrical. We don't actually get to see it that well because how quickly the minute cuts off, but it looks to me like he's picking up the facsimile of a human bone. Yes, that makes me worried. If there is a human bone in this pile pool of paper, what is the rest of the paper meant to be? My worry is that the rest of the paper is viscera. Mm. That that head eats things, spits out the remains that he no longer wants. And then the cranes eat the rest? Yes. Ooh, that's pretty sinister. We'll have to see what this room is all about once we have a little bit more context. So here at the end of minute 20, we have completed part one of today's episode. We've had a taste of what the maze has to offer, but we're no closer to truly understanding its many mysteries and what they mean for the characters. So we're going to take a short break to watch this movie from beginning to end, and we'll be back for part two to discuss minute 20 with a bit more perspective. Though it's only been a moment for you, for us it's been several hours, and we have watched Dave Made a Maze in its entirety, and then rewatched the minute with the knowledge of everything that came before and everything that is yet to come. So, with that added perspective, let's re-enter the maze at the top of minute 20. We start off this minute with Annie, Gordon, and the others. They are in the piano room. They've had their fun peeking through the black key doorways, but after seeing all of these different colored streamers flying around, Annie is ready to move on and keep looking. And I think what has inspired her to choose this specific door to go through is the fact that one of the color streamers just flew through there. Yeah, she chose this doorway because of that. I'm guessing that she saw these things and decided that they were going to lead her to Dave. So as she passes through this doorway, she beckons everybody on. And of course, Gordon is the first one to hop to it because he and Dave are really good friends. I was delighted to see their dynamic. Even though it wasn't in person, it was just audio. I'll bet they were like college buddies or something like that. Like roommates or something. Yeah. One of those situations where a computer algorithm threw them together and they just became friends after it. Now, before we leave the piano room, I want to express my appreciation for the soundtrack in this space. We only got a tiny bit of it in our minute specifically, but watching the entire movie, you realize that the music in this room is just one of those stock soundtrack background things that you find on those old electronic keyboards and every time they passed through a doorway it added a plinking of a note so you're gonna get several of the same note as they're all rushing through this doorway to follow annie and is that what happens i wasn't thinking we don't actually get to hear it because we cut over into the next room but i imagine that's what's going on here by passing through this doorway annie is led into another room and we can see all of the paper gathered around the floor and i've been trying to keep track of how many spaces they've been in since they first entered the maze and Mm -hmm. to my recollection i know i probably could have just gone back and rewatched it a second time to really count off this but i'm pretty sure they've been in the foyer of the maze they followed the hallway around to the button that gordon was not supposed to press and then harry ended up pressing it instead which led them into the card tunnel and then the keyboard room and then this room making the paper filled space i believe the fifth one if you want to believe that the foyer and the 
button hallway are two different spaces. Yeah, that seems about right. I enjoy, very much enjoy the explanation of why Paper Cranes. In the opener to the movie, we see how he was spending his time before he came up with the idea of building a maze. He was playing the keyboard. He was making paper cranes. He was playing cards. And that dictates the rooms that we have entered. Mm -hmm. So that's why the paper cranes. There's a lot of cohesiveness to this maze. We're not just seeing this ultimate creation, but we're also seeing the evolution of his mindset that we got to see in the opener. So where this is still pretty early on in their adventuring experience I understand now why they're so chill about this whole thing. I don't think they've run into a situation as of yet to really concern them. Sure, they've had the slightly comedic moment of the punching button, but they've had no reason to fear. Yeah, Annie has certainly moved on from her dismissal of Dave's plight once she entered the maze and saw that it's legit bigger on the inside. Mm Mm-hmm. So now she's in the phase of, as Harry put it, childlike wonder, where everything is amazing. And so far, nothing has been really scary. It seems to me like she's legitimately impressed with this cardboard marvel that Dave has been able to put together. She is. I think... A lot can be read into what she thinks about Dave, but as of minute 20, it's way too early to get into stuff like that. Okay. So maybe we'll leave that for later. Gotcha. Opposite the entrance to this room, we see, of course, the giant face that is belching paper into the room, as we said before. I am so impressed every time we see this place. Just the pure design of it, the way they used the long strands of crumpled paper to simulate curtains and columns. Always impressed by that. And of course, as you mentioned the first time around, those ledges with the two large cranes. But also, I noticed the other ledge with the smaller cranes. Mm -hmm. Six to a ledge, which I can only assume is on the other side, like you mentioned. It's easy to see why the cranes, because we know that he was making paper cranes before he built the maze. What isn't explained, and I don't think ever is in the entire movie, is why the big head. Mm. Where in his subconscious did that come from? I definitely missed that in the opener if it was any sort of... I don't recall seeing anything. Mm. Everything in the maze comes from his head because the maze is his head. He's lost in his own head. (laughs) His friends have to go in after him. Oh, okay. Well, it just came to me. The big head is his head. That's where it comes from. Okay. And to escape the room, which is beyond our minute, but to escape the room, they go into his head. That is a very good point. Just like they went into the maze, which is his head. And you could look at this giant head belching out paper as Dave seeing himself as just belching out trash. He's trying to scratch a creative itch that he has to create something meaningful. And this face, every time it opens its mouth, paper just flies out and it's creating a mess, which isn't helping anybody. And I think that's how Dave felt in that opener. And to keep drawing parallels between this room and the opener, it's definitely one of the things that Annie brings up when she comes home and sees this box maze in her living room is, okay, well, I'm going to knock it down and clean it up. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's one of Dave's big motivators is, no, don't knock it down. It's not done yet. It's not ready to be cleaned up yet. (laughs) She'd be hard-pressed to clean up this space, that's for sure. Because not only is it filled with paper, but it's also a lot deeper than it appears. (laughs) It is. Now, we 
talked a while ago about Annie and how she's pressing into this room and she's getting deeper and deeper into the paper. One thing that I don't think I brought up is how Gordon takes a few steps forward and he's more or less right behind Annie, but he doesn't slowly descend into the paper. He walks and then he appears to just jump into a deeper area. Yeah, so earlier I wondered if maybe they used a pool to get that effect. Watching the whole thing again, I think they just dropped down to their knees. Mm-hmm. I think that's why it was so sudden is because they were on their feet then they were on their knees. I think it was that simple. Yeah, I supposed that if they had some sort of ledge underneath all of that paper that Annie was careful as she was pushing the paper aside. She saw the ledge coming up, bent down and then slid off the side of the ledge to go into the deeper section. Whereas Gordon saw her do that and thought, oh, I'll just jump down. Yeah. Being more nonchalant and laid back. Sure, he's still a bit on edge after getting that paper cut in the foyer, but he's still just trying to be real chill about this. He seems like the type of guy who works really hard to give off that vibe. But in his heart of hearts, he's incredibly uptight. He puts a lot of effort into appearing to put in no effort. Yes. I could see that. I could absolutely see that. There's something about the way that he chose to dress that day, the sweater over the t-shirt. It just seems like that schlubby sort of dress. So as our party is entering the room, we see the cameraman and the boom operator do their best effort to get into the space. And as cameraman is looking around the room, we of course see the giant cranes on either side, which we know are going to come into play later on. We're not going to say exactly how, because we don't want to spoil it for the people that are going to be talking about it later on, but they are going to be very significant very soon. It's definitely a case of, here, look at these things so that you can then recognize them in a few minutes when we use them again. Mm -hmm. One thing that really impresses me is the fact that they are so large. Oh, yeah. I have to wonder how big of a piece of paper do you have to start with in order to get a crane that, honestly, if you pull the wings out straight, it's probably two, three feet wide easily. Yeah, that sounds about right. Way more effort than the tiny cranes that we see hanging in front of the giant stone face. And I still really like that shot where it rack focuses from the face to the cranes. I really like that shot. And so Annie gets to a point in the room where amongst all of this garbage, she finds a flower. And I find it interesting. Most of the paper in that room is crumpled. And yet she was able to find something folded up rather beautifully. The idea that it's folded into a flower, something delicate, fragrant, and historically feminine. It is out of place. I suspect that this object and then the object that we see at the very end over this minute are objects that when Dave was entertaining himself by doing origami that he actually made. And since watching the movie and getting to know Dave a little bit, I have no doubt that he made that flower for Annie. It's coming much later in the movie, but there is a space that he specifically built with Annie in mind going so far as to say that he believed that she would enjoy that space. Mm -hmm. So I could see him coming through here, building this room, filling it with paper folded and otherwise, and doing exactly like you said, thinking of his friends, thinking, oh, if they were here to find this, this is what I want them to see. And I have to wonder, you said earlier that the maze is kind of a reflection of Dave himself. Yes. Do you think that they're finding these things because the maze wants them to find these things? I think we're still in the part of the maze that is uncontaminated by the Minotaur. 
Mm-hmm. This is the maze that Dave built. This part of the maze, Dave is still in control of. So we know that Dave was expecting to bring his friends in. There was a sign saying, don't push Gordon. Mm-hmm. He made a room for Annie. He made something that we get to talk about down the road in our minute. He made something specifically for Gordon. He expected to bring his friends in here. So these objects in this room, the flower and the other one we're going to talk about at the end of this minute, are for those people. I like that. So Annie picks up the flower. She admires it. She almost sniffs it. It's that situation we were talking about earlier where she should have just gone for it. It's not like everyone there is going to judge her for smelling a paper flower. You were absolutely right. (laughs) And if this really is indeed a paper flower that Dave made prior to the maze that he then put in the maze, it's entirely possible that he made it smell. He He sprayed a little something on it. Yeah, he spritzed something that would appeal to her or remind her of something. Yeah. And of course, Harry, being the director in this situation, has to interrupt. He has to give direction. This is, I believe, the second time that he's tried to tell Annie to do something for the camera. And just like the first time, she's not having any of it. I was actually surprised that in this moment, she humors him a little tiny bit Mm -hmm. before realizing that what she's doing is stupid (laughs) and brushing him off. Yeah. Because prior to this, she doesn't humor him at all. Kind of makes me wonder why Gordon invited them over in the first place. We have only seen Annie Gordon and the camera crew and Harry. We don't get to see all of the other people that came over, but it still begs the question why Gordon would invite the camera crew. I guess... He's so impressed with the idea of this thing that he figured someone should chronicle it. I think Gordon, at least at the time when he made the phone calls, was more interested in making fun of Dave. Mm -hmm. So let's bring over witnesses. Gotcha. That was prior to seeing that it really is bigger on the inside and it really is pretty trippy in there. You know, at this point, if he could rewind and make those phone calls again, would he make different phone calls? Yeah, I probably would have amended who he chose to bring along. Speaking of Gordon, as he's digging through the paper, he doesn't find a flower, but what he does find is something that I hypothesized was a bone because it was white and it was cylindrical and it had a couple of bulbous ends to it. But upon watching the film and seeing that shot in its entirety, it's not a bone. It's more of a boner. (laughs) I have no doubt that that was put in there specifically for Gordon to find. Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Everything that I can think of off the top of my head that Dave puts in there purposely for Gordon is sexual in nature in some way. Between the nut punch, the boner origami, and what comes down the road that I cannot wait to talk about. Yeah. Really shows the level of maturity in their buddy relationship, doesn't it? It does. (laughs) That's one thing that leads me to think that they are buddies from when they really were at that maturity level. From (laughs) high school, from being kids together long-standing based in immaturity oh yeah i wholeheartedly agree well that brings us to the end of minute 20 thank you so much for allowing us to be your guides on this leg of the journey through the labyrinth if you would like to hear more from us please visit madmaxminute.com where you can find our coverage of the mad max series of movies one minute at a time as well as links to our social media accounts until next time I've been Rick Ingham. And I've been Julia Ingham. Goodbye. And then I can probably disarm all the traps. And then we can we can finish this maze. Who is with me?
That was Rick Ingham and Julia Ingham of Mad Max Minute taking a minute 20 of Dave Made a Maze. They will be back in minute 32. Next time on Dave Made a Minute, we've got me again, Robert Black of Michael Myers Minute, taking on minute 21 and talking to the film's production designer, John Sumner. Thank you for listening to Dave Made a Minute. Intro dialogue snippets were taken from Dave Made a Maze, directed by Bill Watterson, written by Bill Watterson and Steve Sears, and produced by John Charles Meyer. Intro music is Diversion by The Equals, featured in the film Dave Made a Maze, and Life Cycle of a Match by Parvis Decree. Outro music is Leaving This Godforsaken Place and Her Presence is Strong Here by Parvis Decree. Dave Made a Minute is a production of Lemming Drop Studio and all other featured podcast producers. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dave Made a Minute. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, and check out all of the participants' other shows to spread the love around. Again, thank you for listening. As long as we're all working together, this is going to be fine. It's going to be great. I need you to notify the families of everyone who died here today. Totally. Wait, what? <laughs>